welcome to the Creative Plasm podcast. This is a very challenging moment for the whole world facing the pandemic emergency. So at Creative Plasm, we felt that this is the time for us to go back to basics, to the essential DNA of our mission. On our presentation, we once wrote, more than 7 billion people are living on planet Earth. Every single one of us is like an isolated island, a polka dot, point in French, seemingly disconnected from one another. So laptops, smartphones, and social media provide technological bridges, but the storylines we channel are the real threats for all the living polka dots around the world to truly connect in this infinite maze. Well, these words sound so incredibly current and important in these times of fear and transformation. We are here to provide you with the powers of creativity and imagination through our stories. So we fought for uh, Creative Poison to produce a new series of episodes entitled Creativity Will Save Us that will be then reflected on the campaign hashtag creativity will save us. It could be inspirational for all of us and give us tools to navigate these hard times from a humanistic as well as a business perspective. And today, to keep you company and inspire you to make the most out of your creative powers, I'm here with American writer, translator, and interpreter, Michael F. Moore, who I interviewed a while ago on the occasion of his work on the, on the American subtitles of the uncut edition of Italian director Francesco Rose's film, Christ Stopped at Eboli, based on Italian author Carlo Levi's memoir. And ironically, the title of my article reads, relearning history and questioning the present by translating. And I think that this is relevant for the times we are living today. So I would love to today to explore with Michael how much literature, art, and rereading also the classics can help us understand our current stage of emergency. And so I'm happy to welcome to the Creative Puzzle podcast, Michael Moore. Hi, Michael. Hello, Tommaso. Nice to speak with you again. Nice speaking with you, and thank you so much for, uh, for being uh, with us at the Creative Puzzle podcast. So, uh, first of all, I want to start by asking you simply, uh, how are you living this lockdown moment that actually it just really started in New York City? How, how are your feelings? I'm actually okay. I mean, uh, for my work, I work from home and uh, most of the time, and then I work in an office uh, most of the week, so it's right. kind of like an extended weekend, but right. where Sunday night never arrives, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So um, for me, it's uh, not, I mean, if I go outside, if I listen to the news, you know, when I talk to my friends, of course, that's another reality. But since most of uh, my work, it, well, it's, it's a mixed bag, but since a lot of my work involves removing myself from the present, then I think that I'm able to live through this with uh, most of the day with a certain peace of mind. Right. So um, I was thinking because uh, a couple of days ago, I was on Facebook and I bumped into one of your posts that was addressing the translation of the masterpiece of Italian literature, I promise Sposi, to be throated by Alessandro Manzoni, that you are currently working on. So in the book, there's an old chapter, uh, the 31st chapter, that describes the bubonic plague outbreaks in Northern Italy in 1630, capturing the psychological stages of an epidemic. And dramatically similar to what happened and is still happening in Italy that started exactly in the north and then went down across the whole peninsula and the islands. So how did you feel when you 
connected the dots and realized, wow, the waving of the cycles and recycles of history are upon us. And what do you think that we can learn from Manzoni? I mean, first I was uh, startled at how um, relevant, how up-to-date Manzoni's description is. I mean, this could, what he describes as happening in 1630, based upon his research uh, into you know, accounts and reports that were written at the time, um, he could easily be, be describing what is happening today, not only in Italy, but certainly in the United States. Right. Where um, he, he, it's very, it's like high class journalism at this point. I mean, it's a very, very varied novel. But, um, you know, he talks about the stages, not just of psychology, but just of this, of the whole epidemiology of the disease, of how it proceeds, who was patient zero, as the Italians say. Uh, we say patient zero in English, the Italians say patient one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, how did it arrive in Northern Italy? How did it spread? He talks about the denial of the people right. initially to the right. reports and how angry they were at what the scientists had to say. He talks about the politicians' incompetence and they were preoccupied with war at the time. In that case, it was the Spanish rulers mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. of uh, Lombardy who were engaged in this fight uh, for the succession of Mantua. They were more worried about keeping the French out than they were in protecting the people that they were responsible to protect. Right. So it went from being uh, a project that sometimes in America might seem a bit rarefied to being extremely relevant. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've taken that chapter, chapter 31, and the following chapter, chapter 32, mm -hmm. and I put it together into a single account so to be published separately. Okay. And we're looking into possibilities for that now. Um, That's because, amazing. And when I've shown it to friends and stuff and writers and uh, my publisher, they were all, uh, they said it was chilling because it was so real. It was so real. Um, the other thing that's happened is that where I've been doing so much historical research to understand this and try to find the right language, suddenly the words that I've been putting down on paper to capture Manzoni are the words that I'm hearing on the news. Mm, uh, like people, losing their, people losing their jobs, for example, right. the contagion spreading, uh, sure. uh, denials again of the politicians, the Veto Valiari, he talks about provisioning of food, for mm -hmm, example. Mm -hmm. um, all of these things that are happening today are described in those two chapters. Right. So how do uh, the people in the story, in, uh, in the Bethro that go through the epidemic? Badly, <laughs> I mean, really badly. I mean, it's, it's hard to sort of draw a, you know, I think that a lot of people talk about uh, faith in Manzoni, the belief in a religion. Of course. Um, I think that it's, he's much more subtle than that because he does talk about um, how heroic the priests were, for example, the same way that today I think we're talking about healthcare workers. Right. I think it's important to remember that the first hospitals, of course, were founded by the, the nuns yeah. Um, the sure. Capuchins that he's talking mm -hmm. about were running the Bazzaretto, where the sick people exactly. were brought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, he has his heroes. I, in terms of drawing a positive conclusion, I mean, it's very hard to say because this plague doesn't end until the rains come. You know, mm -hmm. um, it does end, but I mean, let's face it, it wiped out at least 25%, if not more, or a third. I'm trying to remember the exact number of northern Italy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that his, the cautionary tale that he tells is uh, one that he tells throughout the novel, which is um, to, work, to watch out for a mob mentality, for example, summary justice, uh, 
the scapegoating, uh, the caccia de strege, you know, mm -hmm. there's also a witch hunt, of course, because they were trying to blame this upon the untori and on right. witches. Right. And so he's uh, cautioning people about rushing to judgment. He is urging the readers um, to know history, first of all, to uh, afraid that they might have forgotten it. Mm -hmm. and to learn from it, to heed the advice of scientists, um, and to, uh, and urging not just the people, but of course the politicians to assume their response, shoulder their responsibilities. Right. Right, so going down uh, this road, I can think of some other, uh, you know, relevant books and narrating similar, a similar novel. I'm thinking about Boccaccio with the Decameron, sure. or Albert Camus, The Plague, or yeah. to stories that talk about intellectuals who are forced to be isolated or either in prison or exile. Like for example, again, Carlo Levis in Christ Stop the Eboli, mm -hmm. or I think about Reynaldo Arenas, that he wrote his testament before night falls when he was in exile, mm -hmm. or also Marco Polo, he panned the million when he was in prison. So, and so many others that maybe you have in mind as well from- uh, in the Yeah, I was thinking Saramago, you know, for example. You know, exactly, yeah. exactly. So thinking of this, my question is like, do you think that, that there's a strength and an intellectual and creative spark in forced isolation? Definitely. Um, certainly in New York, I, I can't speak for other places. Here we tend to be very caught up with the uh, immediate present, uh, with running to one place and the other. And, mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of socializing, of course. People have small apartments. They'd like to go to restaurants. You keep very, very busy. It's, it's sort of uh, exhausting uh, in right. a way, like to um, have to be out and about so much. And um, and there's a lot of distraction, of course. And now, you know, at home, I'm very good at finding a distraction at home, but I think that many other people aren't. I know how to cook. I think a lot of <laughs> right. New Yorkers, I don't know if they're used to cooking um, from my visits to the, uh, when I go to the supermarket, I get the impression that half the people have never been in a supermarket before. <laughs> uh, but on the intellectual level, I see uh, a lot of people uh, engaging more deeply with reading, um, having to engage more with their children, if you have children, you know, right. because suddenly they're no longer at school and mm -hmm. you have to, and I think that there is a greater admiration for teachers, certainly, as as the parents try to help their children through their lessons and see right. what is being done. Interesting point, yeah. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, there is a combination. On the one hand, I think there's a desire for levity, for comedy and stuff. But on the other hand, I think uh, people are engaging more deeply with the present. Uh, and I think that there's been some remarkable moments, even in the, in the press conferences of the Governor Cuomo. Mm -hmm. and yeah. talking about his own relationship with his daughter and how he's had conversations with her that he's never had before. Right. I think also, let's face it, people are faced with issues of mortality. So exactly. it's not just a confinement itself, but it's, it's, it's the possibility, the very real possibility of death, right. which I think forces a kind of reckoning on what are we doing. You right, know? right. So I uh, don't know what it does in terms of community. I hope that, I, I certainly see in my neighborhood and among my... Uh, my friends and stuff, a desire for community support. It's, it's very difficult in this situation since we're not supposed to be in, in physical contact with physical people. Country, I was trying right. to help out with the food distribution and then they said, no, 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 stay home, stay home, stay yeah, home. Right. Um, but I think that there is a, a real uh, urge towards civic mindedness mm -hmm. uh, among people, which is emerging. And, and I see a lot of that in New York. I think uh, people don't know that about 
New York City, they think that we all just sort of walk by people dying on the sidewalk. It's not really true. I think that uh, people do stop and care about each other. People are stopping and speaking more to each other, strangely, I mean, from a distance, but I think that there's much more conversation, even with the people who are on the front lines, by which we mean not just healthcare workers, but people working in stores, mm-hmm. ones that are still open. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, absolutely. And uh, also uh, migrating from uh, literature a little bit, I know that mm-hmm. you also have a background in arts. You actually yes. graduated from the Brera Fine Arts Academy in Milan. Yeah. If I'm correct, yes, sculpture was your major, right? Yes. So, and you've been also working prolifically in the movie industry, translating subtitles, but also as an interpreter for actors and directors, uh, Italians. Yes. So uh, what are the other forms of arts that you are holding on uh, to for inspiration uh, these days? Um, opera. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, I uh, cer- certainly I like to listen to Verdi when I'm uh, transiting mm-hmm. Manzoni. Mm-hmm. The two sort of go hand in hand. Right. Yeah. And um, and especially since we're now denied the performing arts in, right. you know, uh, to be actually present in a theater, but there are many attempts now, um, uh, virtually, you know, through websites and stuff to project. So like the Metropolitan Opera, for Mm -hmm. example, is showing a lot of full operas from its archives for free on its website. Um, So that has been important to me. I haven't thought so much about, I had been going to theater a lot this year. Uh, There are some really great plays in New York and uh, I think they had, the ones I saw had closed anyway, but, I haven't, you know, I've been looking more toward music, I have to say. Um, music. And also, you know, if I wake up in the morning and I turn on the news, it's just too much. You know, I, I want to know what's going on, but I don't want to be overwhelmed with this right. sense of helplessness, which it's very easy uh, to yeah. fall into. Yeah, and panic, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, you are a writer yourself. So yes. are you writing besides your translations? I, I'm writing about the translation. Mm-hmm. I'm writing about Manzoni, and I am... Remembering, to be honest, um, what the onset of the AIDS crisis felt like in the 1980s, mm-hmm. um, I think in terms of the response of the government in particular, because when uh, the first cases of AIDS came out, the government took absolutely no interest. I mean, it was really criminal, uh, the neglect yeah, for which gay men were exposed. Um, the fear that people had of contagion, um, and then uh, uh, and so the refusal then to treat uh, men that had HIV AIDS right, in right. certain hospital settings. So I'm I'm very much reminded of that and um, trying to write down my thoughts about it. But that it's it's just so deeply disturbing that it's almost hard to to think about yeah, to go right. back to that moment right. when 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 a hospital would not help you. And I think that that is one of the terrible things in this moment where the message that we're getting not from everywhere, I don't want to exaggerate, but the initial message is don't come to the hospital if you're sick. And it's hard to know what to think of that. You know? Exactly, no, you're totally right. Mm-hmm. It's frightening for anybody. Yeah. yeah. So um, I wanted to talk with you a little bit more about Italy because I know that you have a very close and emotional relationship with uh, my country. Yes. So uh, what are your feelings about Italy right now? And what- I'm, I'm very frightened uh, for my friends. Um, I uh, stay in contact with them. Um, I'm, I just think that the news every day seems to be a little bit worse. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, so I, I, I just, I, it's really even hard to imagine just the terrible sadness, not only of 
of losing a loved one, but of not being able, knowing how important uh, the rituals surrounding death are in Italy, of not to be able to even participate in a funeral. Yes. It's just mind boggling. I mean, so I almost try not to think about it because it's just too deeply upsetting. Um, right. I, I lived in Milano, and since you mentioned Breda, and so of course, talk about the epicenter of a crisis, you know, uh, I've been talking to people for, you know, I want to say the last month, but I, I have kind of lost track of time myself, you know. Um, so I feel deeply, deeply concerned about um, what's happening in Italy because um, even as we speak, I, I don't see things getting better. I mean, I think that we keep hearing every now and then a glimmer of good news, but uh, I, I'm it's not. A, just a I'm just, yeah. I, I think it's going to be as awful as this moment is, I think that in another month, maybe when things uh, die down and people look back, I think then there will be a very deep expression of grief. So I just feel deep, deep grief for Italy right now. Um, dolore, you know. Dolore, say. pain, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, like, and I'm with you with this feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, can, we, um, can we send a positive message to Italy, but like through maybe an image that is that you have of our country that is, you know, the most poetic image that you have in mind, or a, or a memory that it's dear to your heart that you can share. Oh, there's so many, and it's you know when I go to bed at night, I do try to think of something, just you know, of just sitting outside and having the sun on my face, you know, um, in the month of April, you know, uh, well April's around the corner, but. Yeah. That's what I think of. I think of maybe being in the countryside and uh, going for a walk, you know, uh, right. through a garden. And maybe if there's one particular image, maybe it is being in Bellagio where I spent a nice month and just looking down um, from this privileged place that I was in and seeing both branch, all three branches of Lake Como mm, yeah. um, in, in, a, in a month of November that was warm and beautiful. So. Yeah. Uh, that is the memory that I have of Italy that comforts me, I think, in the midst of all of this. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with, uh, with me and with everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, at Creative Poisson, we thought as communicators, we truly believe in the power of storytelling to prepare a special episode um, that goes with the series, hashtag creativity will save us, editing together the voices of the many talented and top-notch professionals of the performing arts scene, uh, starting from New York City and then going globally. So for us, it would be a great honor and a precious gift uh, to feature also your voice in support of uh, the community of entertainers and artists. You know that, as we mentioned before, all the venues from theaters to movie theaters, museums are temporarily shutting down to prevent spreading of the coronavirus. So what are your thoughts? How can we send a positive message that truly creativity could save us and that the show will and have, has to go on? Definitely. I think that there's a moment of transcendence in the arts and transcendence means to sort of rise above things. And I think to even in the midst of sadness um, or even in expressions of sadness to find beauty is something. Um, that lifts us up from um, this misery and uh, the, the, to which we could fall prey otherwise. Beautiful. Thank you so much. We are coming towards, towards the end of our, our beautiful conversation. Uh, if you have anything else that you want to share with our audience before we, uh, we end the, the interview? Well, I mean, I just, if I think of Manzoni and the way that the play concludes, it's when, you know, Renzo is finally, you know, reunited with Lucia. Um, after a terrible negotiation, um, 
and uh, he starts to walk away from the city and then the rain begins to fall and it just washes away um, the plague. And I, and I think that that moment is around the corner, that that rain will start to fall and wash this all away. Beautiful, thank you so much. So to say we're coming uh, towards the end of our episode. So for all of you who are listening, if you have any questions, comments, if this conversation inspired you, we invite you to share your thoughts on our website, www.creativepoison.com, spelled creative, P-O-I-S-N, on our social media, Facebook page at Creative Poison, and Instagram account at creativepoison underscore on. And now I'm here with Michael to say uh, goodbye to you and with our uh, signature tagline. So what would we say, Michael? Ready, set, set, imagine. Thank you so very much, Michael. You're welcome.